Okay, praise the Lord. We're going to get started here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for the privilege to get in your word. We want to thank you and praise you, Lord, that you're the God that provides all of our needs, does everything for us. You're the one that gives us this magnificent book. And Lord, we ask you to reveal the truth of this book to us tonight as we study it, that we may walk in obedience to its words and so we can overcome every trial and every test that's thrown at us. And we want to thank you and praise you, Father, for all these wonderful things you do for us. And Lord, bless us as we study your word tonight. And we give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to keep on there in the book of James. We did a little bit of teaching in James uh, Sunday, but we're going to recap just a little bit of it. We're going to start in James 3.13, and uh, we're going to go from there. James 3.13. <clears throat> we're going to be reading in the, or I'm going to be reading out of the NLT. Uh, I don't know what uh, translation you have, but uh, in verse 3.13 it says, If you... If you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will come forth. I, I think that when, we, when I look at that, it says, if you are wise, if you are wise, how many wise people do you really know? Not very many. If you really base it around God's Word, you don't know very many wise people. Almost everybody is living the world. Almost everybody, even in the church, you know. I mean, it's not anything uncommon to go to a big church and be a lot of people, but virtually a handful of them will know the Word of God. Or they don't study it. They don't go out win souls. They don't go out and produce fruit for the kingdom. You know, they're just normal people. Now, some of them are good people. You know, they're not living uh, in any kind of uh, sin or anything or in any wickedness. But it says, if you're wise and understand God's ways. I think, I think that if we were to ask the average person today, do you understand God's ways? Well, they would probably say, well, no, I don't guess anybody understand God. And that's probably true. We don't really understand Him. But I will have to say, right now, where I am right now... <clears throat> I understand God's ways better than I have at any other time in my life. I understand the system He put in effect. I understand how it works. And, I, you know, I, I get an idea of what He's doing. And, and he, when all this happens, you finally understand why some people are blessed, why some people are cursed. You understand why some are sick, some are afflicted, and, and others are not. Because when you look around, you know, you see when... Just like I was talking to a lady earlier today, and she was trying to minister to a, a young lady, and the young lady said, well, you know, I just, I, just can't, I just don't have enough money. I just can't possibly make it. And the woman asked her, said, well, are you a tither? And she said, absolutely not. I, can't, don't even have, I don't have enough money to even make it, much less to give God any. And the young woman told her, said, well, you know, until you start doing what God says, you're cursed with a curse. The Word of God says so, and so that's why you can't make it financially. She says, you mean to tell me you say if I start giving God 10% of what I'm making, I'll have more money? She said, it worked for me. 
You know, it worked for me. Well, that is that it worked for you too, did it? <laughs> Ty said it worked for him too. Well, we've got several hands going up, but it worked for me too. Now, when, it, when that worked for me in the area of tithing, I mean, that years and years ago, I, I've, of course, this may not sound like a lot of money to you, but I was in the military, and I was making a grand total of $40 a week. Now, I know that doesn't, uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> That little laugh over there, I mean, I'm having to support, I mean, I'm having to live in a house and everything on $40 a week. Well, that's been a long time ago, all right, but that's what I was making. And, of course, I was working a little part-time job and, and everything else to try to make it, but I couldn't on $40 a week. And I didn't understand God's ways. Now, I'd been raised up in church, but I didn't understand God's ways of doing things. And so I was not a tither. I had never been taught to tithe. And I'm, of course, 23 years old or whatever by this time. I had never been blessed financially by no means. And here I am now, you know, trying to make it in the military and, you know, trying to live in a little house and buy groceries and everything else. And I go to church on Sunday. And, of course, when the offering plates pass, well, I took out my billfold and put a dollar in the offering plate. You know, I think I'm doing God a real service, you know, giving him a dollar. Well, when that pastor preached that day, he said, you know, there's people that will come here and, and receive the grace of God and the goodness of God. And he said, when the offering plates pass, he said, they'll put a dollar bill in the offering plate. And, of course, when I looked up, that finger was pointing right straight at me. You know, I mean, I, I thought, oh, my lands, he saw me put that dollar in the offering plate, and that's why he pointed that finger right at me. But God saw me put that dollar in there. He knew what I was doing. Well, I came under such conviction of what that guy said. I went home and read all those scriptures again. I didn't understand the curses. I didn't understand what a curse meant or anything. But I did know that God said I'm supposed to do this. And so although I didn't understand it, I started giving. And I I said, I said, there is not any way I can do $4 a week in that offering plate and make it. I can't make it now on the 40 that I'm making. But that next Sunday, I started putting $4 in that offering plate. And I had put that $4 in there plus a whole lot ever since. And from that day to this, I have never been in a financial bind. Never. Now, isn't that amazing? God has always met my needs. There's not been times I was under trials and tests. I remember I was just thinking this last week. Some, uh, one of us was talking about that piece of land I got out there where I live. And I said, when I bought that about 30 years ago, I, it was just a basic, raw piece of land, 100 acres of land. Actually, it wasn't 100. It was 50. I only bought half of it at the first. And I said, I couldn't find anybody in the world, although I had a perfect record. I had no bad credit, nothing, but I couldn't find nobody that would loan me the money to buy a piece of land. Nobody. They wanted me to build a house on it, and not, but I didn't have the money to build a house. And so I wanted to buy the piece of land, pay for the piece of land. Then I wanted to build me a house. Nobody would loan me the money. So I prayed and prayed. Finally went to the Federal Land Bank, and they agreed to loan me this much money if I could pay 25% down on it. Well, now, 25% is a pretty good chunk of money, and I didn't have it. I raked and scraped everything I could find and every investment and everything I had 30 years ago, and I pulled it all up, and when I put it all together, I like $9,000 having enough money to make the down payment on that piece of land. Well, $9,000 was a lot of money to me 30 years ago. still a pretty good chunk to me today. 
you know, but 30 years ago, it sure was a good chunk of money. So anyway, I prayed and I said, Lord, if you want me to have this piece of land, I know you're going to provide me with this 30,000, I'm just nine, 9,000 more dollars I need to make this payment on this place, this down payment. And so I thought, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it. But, you know, my needs were all met, but I'm short on what I need. But now I went to God and praying. Now, I had been a tither. I had bought a Mooney airplane about five years before, and I had to give $4,500 for the airplane. I had flown it for five years, and I had it in real good shape and everything. And out of the wild blue, a guy called me from South Texas and said, Thurman, I want to buy that Mooney airplane you got. I said, well, I don't want to sell it. You know, I said, it's a good airplane. I love flight. He said, but I want it. And, and I said, well, I said, he said, I want to buy that airplane. How much you want for it? And all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, tell him $9,000. And I thought, well, I give 4500 for it five years ago. I said, I said well, I, I guess I would sell it, but I'd have to have $9,000 for it. He said, I'll take it. He said, I'll send you a cashier's check. It'll be there tomorrow. And he said, if next week I'm going to be here, if you can fly it down here to South Texas to me, I'll fly you back home. I said, Lord, it must be your will for me to buy that, get that piece of land. I got a check the next day for the money, and I went over to the Federal Land Bank and gave them the money. Then, then a few days later, whenever he called, I flew the airplane down to Del Rio, picked him up, and he flew it back, and that was his checkout. And then I landed here, and he got out, and he flew it back. And I thought, isn't that amazing? The Lord, if it's His will for you to have the money to do something, if you've done what He wants you to do, He will move on somebody's heart to give you the money you need to take to do whatever you want to. And, of course, I'm so grateful because that piece of land out there now, you know, is worth about $3 million, you know, so that 100 acres. So, you know, it really turned out to be an extremely good investment. Of course, I still got it, and I haven't sold it, so, you know, I guess it's all just on paper, you know, so it don't make any difference. But at least I do have the piece of land, and it is paid for. And I'm grateful that God gave me that 30 years ago, because when I bought that 30 years ago, I had no idea that it was going to turn into such a tremendous investment. But see, but God says in His Word, if you don't tithe, I will curse you with a curse. Now, how many people do you know? Maybe your own friends, or who knows, loved ones or whatever that is struggling trying to make it. And either they go to church or maybe they don't go to church, and, but they're not willing to tithe. They're not willing to give God any money. You know how many of those people are going to be blessed financially? None of them. You know, in fact, somebody said, well, I know John Doe over here. He's, he's worth $2 million and he don't go to church. He don't tithe. You know what the Lord said in Malachi chapter 2? He said, even in your blessings will I curse you if you don't tithe. Now, what good does it do a man if he's got a million dollars and he's not tithed and he's cursed by God and he looks like everything's going to be good? And he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I didn't go to church. I didn't do nothing. I made my millions. And when I get to be 50... I'm going to retire, and I'm going to take my millions, and we're going to travel around the world, and we're just going to have a great life. And at 48, he comes down with cancer and dies. Didn't do him no good, did it, Gina? Not at all. So, you know, you can't... God said in His Word, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So whatever you want out of life is what you better put into it. You know, if you want to be good to people and walk in love and be merciful to people, then when you need mercy, mercy is going to be shown to you. And if you don't, then you're going to reap the exact same thing in life that you sowed. So, when you get a hold of, 
God's principles. And you understand these ways, it will change the way you do business. That is, providing you won't have a good life. So it said, if you're wise, if you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth out of you. Only good deeds. Because since we understand God's ways and we know that the king says, whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So if you go around sowing hatred all the time, Deborah, guess what's going to come back to you? Hatred. Yeah. If you go around sowing love all the time, guess what's going to come back? Love. See? So whatever you sow, that's what you reap. And that's why the Lord says, if you're wise, if you're wise, and you understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness. Now, this is in the NLT. It says basically the same thing in the King James. It's a little harder to get it out of there. But you can still see it in there. Live a live a steady live a life of steady goodness, so that only good deeds will come forth from you. Only good deeds. And if you don't brag about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. Now, I was just talking to Phil a little while ago about young men. I said, young men. A lot of times, when young men. If they've given, see, God tells us young men, He says, you know, don't ever put a young man in a position of power in the church because he'll get, his head will get swelled up and he'll get proud and then God can't use him. So I, I give him an example a while ago. I said, a lot of young men, the, the men that play football, basketball, and all these things, are these 60 year old men? Huh? How old are most of these men? 20s. Late teens and 20s, early 20s. Now, then, if those guys turn out to be some kind of a super athlete, which a lot of them are, no two ways about it, what happens to them? They become proudful. You know, I'm somebody. You know, they lift themselves up. So here's a 20, 25-year-old young man worth $5 million already. Well, you know, I mean, so what's wrong? What's wrong with you, Deborah? I mean, you know, I, I don't want to do with an old woman like you. I mean, I'm a young, proudful dude, see? I mean, you know, hey, they're proud. Look, they're young. They don't have a clue what's going on yet. Not a clue. So if they got that kind of money, I mean, I think of some of those young men that out there that have made that kind of money, that they have wasted it, they've lost it, they didn't give it to God. And then I remember a few years ago, one of the men that was young, that played for one of the big football teams that Tim was telling me about. I don't ever watch football, but he, he knows all of them. He was talking about a young man that had went along several years. He'd made, I forget how many millions of dollars, and now the IRS was after him, and he couldn't even pay his income tax. He's got to sell everything, his houses, everything, to, to pay his income tax. And because he had wasted it, and people had stole from him and everything else. So here was a young man that had made millions, and here he's only 25 or 30 years old, and now he's flat broke and ain't got nothing. And now then he can't play football no more. So if you get used to living a lifestyle of a four or five million dollars a year, and then all of a sudden you go back to having to work for a living for ten or twenty or thirty or forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, if you couldn't live on five million a year, how are you going to live on fifty thousand a year? It's hard. I mean, it's very hard. Whereas if you take a guy that's been living on ten thousand a year and you give him fifty thousand a year, man, he can live like a king. And he can live like a king. Well, anybody that would, anybody that will 
plan right, if they're making thirty to 50000 a year, they ought to be able to do really nice. You ought to be able to really live good on that kind of money. But you can't go out and buy, you know, a new Lexus every year, you know, uh, on 30000 a year. But if you do, you can do it better than I do. But you can buy you a nice Chevrolet, you know, or Ford or something like that. But all that stuff is secondary anyway. That's just worldly stuff. You know, you don't have to have a new car. You know, you don't have to have a, a, a big million-dollar million house to live in. You can live very comfortable in a much, much less structure. But if you're wise, if you're wise, and you understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness. Really let that penetrate into you, and that only good deeds will come forth from you. And it says, and if you don't brag in the process about this, about the good you do, then you will be truly wise. In other words, somebody said, well, I gave $10,000 to the church last week. Yeah. Well, if you go about bragging about it, how much of a reward are you going to get? Nothing. You might as well have kept it. You know, you're not going to get nothing. God, He's not going to reward you if you go around bragging on what you're doing. So if you give it, don't tell nobody. Lord, I give this to you, you know, and now I expect a great return on my investment, you know, and just tell him, don't tell nobody else. That's how that in this ministry, you know, I don't never ask nobody for money. I just ask God. I said, Lord, this is your ministry. We've got all these needs, although I know you know that. We've got to buy these CDs and DVDs and pay all these people and, and the buildings and the utilities and everything. So, Lord, we need this much money every week, and I want to thank you for it. And that's all I do. And it comes in, and we pay all of our bills. We are very grateful to the king for that because he moves on people's hearts to get them to bless the ministry. And then he says in verse 14, but if you are bitterly jealous, you know, we go back to this. If you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag about being wise. That is the worst kind of a lie. In other words, you, you just... Lots of people in the church are bitterly jealous. You know, they live in that place. And I'm going to tell you, you don't have to be there. You know, as a Christian, you don't have to live in bitterness and jealousy. You have the power over that. I mean, here a while back, I made a new statement. Here, I've been a pastor now for a while. And I've been, I mean, I was raised up as an engineer. And, you know, I'm always so concerned about wasting a nickel. You know, don't waste no money. Let's be thrifty. And I, I guess that's good to a degree. But I've tried my best. And, of course, uh, whenever we'd do something at the minister center, uh, we'd mess up a piece of equipment or we'd ruin a few DVDs or whatever or we'd print the labels on them wrong or whatever we do, you know, or anything we might do. Well, you know, I would get uh, upset about this and the amount of money that we waste. So... When I think about that, I finally got to thinking, well, Lord, I guess that's really, it's your business, it's your stuff. They're trying to do the best they can. And so I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I even told Cheryl, I said, I'm turning over a new leaf. You know, I'm not going there. You know, I'm going to walk in love and I'm going to do everything in a totally different way. So I told them all, I said, you know, I'm going to let, ask you all to help me to hold me accountable. And I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, so far, everybody seems to think I really did it. You know, <laughs> even Ty told me, Thurman, you're walking in more of a love. I even see it. I thought, whoa, praise the king. <laughs> so, 
you have the ability of, in your life, you know, to have a great day today or be unhappy today. So if they walk in and say, well, we made a mistake today. We printed the wrong labels on 180 DVDs and we've got to trash them. You said, I said, what? I can't believe y'all done such a crazy thing. And I said, okay, did you learn anything? Yeah, okay, so let's try not to do it again. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, we go on. But the thing about it is, I haven't met anybody that doesn't make mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. So, but uh, anyway, I'm going to, hey, honey, honey, would, would y'all go either behind that curtain or somewhere? What y'all's doing is distracting. You know, so either go in that other room or back here, one of the two. Uh, because I can hear you plumb up here. So y'all are going to have to go somewhere else. So, now then, let's go on from here. But after we're talking about, we don't want to be bitterly jealous. We don't want to be self, we don't want to have any kind of selfish ambition. Uh, we don't want to brag about any of these things. Because he said, this is the worst thing that we can do. Then he goes on to say about this jealousy and, and selfishness. They are not God's kind of wisdom. Those things don't come from God. You know, anytime you're doing that, he clearly tells us where these things come from. He says such things are earthly. They are unspiritual. And they're motivated by the devil. So if these things are motivated by the devil, if jealousy, bitterness, and all this earthly stuff is motivated by the devil, then if we're out there walking in any of this, who is in control of our life? If you're getting upset and jealous or bitter or angry about everything, who is running your life, God or the devil? It's obviously the devil is, and I don't know, I think you're the same way I am. You don't want the devil to run your life, do you? No, I don't want him to run mine either. But you and I as Christians have a choice every day to make, am I going to walk in love or am I going to be mad about everything that comes along? I have the ability to make that choice. I do not have to sin, only if I want to. So, sometimes it's hard to get over those earthly ways. Sometimes, especially if you walked in them a long time and you're old as I am, you, <laughs> you know, you, you have to... Really turn over a new leaf. And then before you open your mouth, you've got to think every time before you open your mouth. And if you want to really find out what you're made out of, get into a place of, of in other words, get into a tight place. Like driving. You know, you're driving down the road and, and somebody almost runs you off the road and you have to veer over to the side. And you want to find out what you're made out of? See what comes out of your mouth. <laughs> If you can say, oh, Lord, I should have blessed that guy. just almost hit me and run me off the road. Or if you raise your fist and say, that lousy. <laughs> you know, like some people do. You find out what's in your heart. So you don't want that nasty stuff in there. Because if that nasty stuff's in there and you get mad, then you know the devil's still in control. And that's that darkness you've got in your heart. You don't want that darkness in there. You want to ask the Lord to send the Holy Ghost in there to take, if necessary, like I asked him to do me many years ago, take the wire brush, you know, I mean, that really good, stiff wire brush. Not one of them real soft ones, you know, that don't do nothing, but one of them good ones. You know, like if you're going to, I don't know, you probably never get your fingernails as dirty as I do, but me working, when I go out and work on a tractor or whatever, I get some kind of black grease 
and under my fingernails and uh, when I come back in and I mean I got a stiff brush you know the bristle brush that I have to pour some good strong stuff and I get down in them fingernails and I mean I'm scrubbing them babies Cheryl's got some real little soft ones she does her fingernails but them don't do nothing for me you know that grease that gets out in my that won't even touch them I got to get one of them hard wire brush kind and that'll dock that stuff off so that's the kind of brush I need on my heart and I ask the Lord to take the Holy Spirit and go in there. I want Him to brush out the inside of my heart so that I can walk into God kind of love. Because I know if you and I can't walk into God kind of love, then our faith don't work. And I love for my faith to work. In fact, I'm going to stop right here right quick and tell you, uh, if you're going to be here Saturday, uh, they tell us that this young boy, Eddie, uh, a couple of months ago at the healing school, his sister, which was 14 years old, she came, her and her dad, and some of their family, they came from Wisconsin or Indiana or Illinois or wherever it was. They came to a healing school. And after the healing school was over, this little 14-year-old girl asked me if I would pray for her brother. I said, what's wrong with him? She said, he's at home and he's comatose. He was in an automobile accident and the doctors say he's going to be a vegetable the rest of his life. But he said, I believe that if you will pray for me, or pray with me, agree in prayer with me, that God will raise up my brother. Now, what kind of faith that young 14-year-old got? She's got great faith. I mean, for her and her daddy and her family to drive from way up north all the way down here to a healing school, that took something else. That took something else. But for her to come up to me and tell me, I believe that if you will agree with me in prayer, God will raise up my brother. But the doctors have said he's comatose and he can't ever get well. But she said, I believe God can and will if you agree with me in prayer. And I did. And God did. He's going to be here to give his testimony next Saturday. Isn't that awesome? The boy, within a matter of a couple of weeks, he was sitting up. Then they kept calling us with praise reports. He's now eating. He's now talking. And slowly but surely. And then the other day they called and said, he's strong enough now. He's walking and talking. We're coming back, and he's going to stand here Saturday and give his testimony. But yet a couple of months ago, he was comatose. What can our God do whenever you have that kind of faith? Well, hey, the Lord says, if that girl didn't have the kind of faith she needed, and if I wasn't walking in a love walk, he ain't going to answer my prayer. And you know what kind of privilege it is to pray a prayer of faith for a child like that and then her brother get healed? Hey, I'm telling you, whatever, as far as I'm concerned, whatever price I have to pay to do that, it's worth it. Don't you agree? Amen. Whatever, but you and me are in the same place. We're children of God. So whatever price we have to pay to be able to pray for someone, like a while ago, the lady that was over there, she said, I was feeling awful Sunday, but I had Deborah pray for me and a couple of other ladies. And she said, immediately I got better. I said, well, if you want somebody to pray for you in faith, she's one that can pray for you. See, But she's walking in faith. She's walking in love. But see, God's no respecter of persons. It don't make any who you are if you're walking in love and walking obedience to His Word. That He'll answer your prayer. But if you're not, He won't. And that's why He's telling us what to do here. Now, so you've got a little bit of this jealousy in there. A little bit of this bitterness in there. Just a little. But that's too much. He said that's devilish. And that's of the devil. And that's not of God. So you don't want to be controlled by the devil. It says for... In the next verse, 16, for whoever, 
or for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you, you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Every kind of evil. You see? Every kind of evil will be there if you have these things. So, if jealousy and selfish ambition is there, the devil's going to be there, isn't he? Always. Because that's going to draw him. So, don't let him have any impact into your life. It says, but the wisdom that comes from God, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It's pure. It is also peace-loving and is gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Boy, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, even sometimes when your spouse wants you to do something. I got tickled at Cheryl. I hope she don't mind me tell this. But the other night... She gets up and goes into the bathroom to go. Of course, most people, when we go to the bathroom, we go to the bathroom to use the bathroom. That's what we go there for. That's what she went there for. She went in there to the bathroom. I'm already in bed. And she realizes there's no tissue on the roll holder. Now, I know. And the little cabinet right there where it's normally kept, it was empty too. And so I heard her say, oh, goodness, I, there's no tissue. I said, no problem, honey. I'll get up and go get you some. i got to get up, put my clothes on, go outside in the ministry. She said, oh, no, no, no. I'll just use a Kleenex or something. I said, no. It won't take me but a second. I got up, put my clothes on, ran out in the ministry, got a roll of uh, four rolls of toilet paper, and brought it back in there and tucked it in there. And I said, here, honey. And she said, you know, you really love me. Well, of course I really love her. You know? So, if you really love your mate, what will you do for your mate? Anything, right? I mean, is it a big deal to get up out of bed and put clothes on and go do something? Well, for some people, you might think it is. You know, they ain't going to do it. But if I was not willing to do that, was I walking in love? No, that's right. I was not walking in love. If I'm not willing to get up and do something... I mean, why do you do things for people? Because you love them. You don't do things for people out of need. You know, I mean, you don't do things for people who say, well, okay, I'll help you this time. It's my duty. Now, I don't like to do things out of duty. Do you? I like to do things out of love. You know, I'm not going to do things for you out of duty. You know, I don't want to owe you nothing. I don't want you to owe me nothing. I want to do what I do for you because I love you. I don't care who you are. You know, I want to do things because of love. Now then, if I do it for any other means, I don't do it in God's way. And so he understands that. Now, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. It is gentle at all times. Not whenever you're treated right. But it's gentle at all times. And willing to yield to others. Willing to yield to others. That's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no partiality and is always sincere. No partiality. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. 
the peacemakers shall see God. Hey, I want to see the king, don't you, young lady? I want to see him. You know, I want to be a peacemaker. So he's, he has said and he means exactly what he says. So if we're willing to take this set of rules that he's given us and do what he says, then he will do what he says. Now, if we don't meet his criteria, he will not do what he said. Because this book, he says clearly in his word, in Psalms, he said, this book is forever settled in heaven, and it cannot be broken. And he's exalted his word above all of his names. So if he said it, he can't ever be edited. It can't ever be changed. God said it. He meant it. And it's been the same ever since he penned it down in a book. We may put different words in here, but it still means the same thing. And he, he will not treat one of us one way and another one another. He has made a set of rules, and they work. Then in James 4, we go to James 4. Start with verse 1. James 1, 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Now, that's a good question. Do we have any quarrels and fights in the church? We shouldn't. Do you have any quarrels and fights at home between a man and a wife? We shouldn't, but do we? Sometimes. You're absolutely right. But we don't have to. Every time, every time we go there, it's a choice. You know, we don't have to do that. And there will be a consequence that follows it every time. So, in fact, Dave read something to me the other day out of Hebrews. And I think it was Hebrews 2 or something where he's talking about there, you know, if what the angels did and everything else, what that was done and there was a uh, absolutely something that came upon those people because I can't quote the verse, but I think it was in Hebrews 2, I think it was. He was reading to me that said, how do we think we're going to escape, you know, if we don't abide by these same rules? Because there was a sure reward for the disobedience for them. And since God never changed it, I believe it's in Hebrews 2. I think it's where Dave read that to me. But anyway, when he read it to me, I thought, wow, did you know that's absolutely a, a fantastic statement that if we think we're going to get away with anything as God's children, that you don't get away with nothing. Not nothing. I mean, it's there. If the angels, whenever they disobeyed, they were locked up in chains of darkness. Hey, what's he going to do to us if we disobey? Well, there's going to be a consequence. It's like we don't believe this. When we read this book, we think, well, you know, God, he's way off out yonder in heaven somewhere. And maybe if I do this in the dark, he won't see me. Or we'll be like the guys when I was in Egypt building a building in 1977, the people that were Muslims over there, they three times a day, they knelt down on their little mats and faced Mecca, and they prayed three times a day. And then on Friday, I think it was Friday, they fasted every week. One day I was out there with a guy, and it was Friday, and he was eating. I said, I thought you guys fasted on Friday. Oh, he said, but it's cloudy today. God can't see me. I mean, what kind of a God does he serve, huh? He ain't serving the same one I'm serving, huh? No. Yeah, he's a very limited. And, and he is very limited compared to ours. But that's, that's, how, that's how we misunderstand and misinterpret God. Because a lot of people will tell you, and I'm going to tell you, you might even hear some people in authority make this statement, the same God the Muslims serve is the same God we serve. 
But let me tell you, that's not true. That's not true. The God we serve is the king of the universe. And he sent his son, and the only way you can get to him is through his son. And you can't get to God no other way except through the son, Jesus Christ. And the God I serve is the one and only God. He's never changed. He's never going to change. And his son's name is Jesus. And he just happens to be my Lord and my Savior. And I know he is yours too. So now then, <clears throat> but he asked the question, so what is causing, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires that are within you? This, this whole group of evil desires that are within you. Now then, do we have evil desires? Do we have desires for things of the world? Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, we do. And in James chapter 4, verse 2, it says, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, that's, that's going pretty far, as far as I'm concerned. Now, some of us scheme to get things we want, but some of us don't go so far as to murder. But some do. I mean, there is people that do that. He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. But they do. So, so you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. Now then, where does that principle begin? How old do you have to be before that principle starts? Almost immediately, right? You ever see a one-year-old that when they get ready to walk, they walk up here and here's another one sitting there. Now, they don't care whether they're ten, five, but that one's playing one toy. Reach over and grab that toy right out of his hand and he runs with it, right? I mean, did your kids do that? Yeah, mine did too. You don't have to teach them to be like that. They just know how to do that. <laughs> right, Dave? <laughs> they know how to do that. I mean, you know, they, they want that. And now then, if somebody doesn't train us, if we're not taught how to get rid of these things, what happens to you as you get older? You just get worse. If you don't have somebody to train you, and just like the Lord told us in His Word, He said the discipline of the parent, of the father, you know, it hurts. You know, but He said the rod of correction drives the evil far from you. Now, if you get a parent that does not discipline their child, you will not like that child when they get old. I don't care who you are. If you don't discipline that child, if you don't use a rod of correction on their backside or somewhere to correct them, I guarantee you will raise a little beast that you won't like when he gets to be 20 or 30 years old. That's just the way it is. He will be a beast. You know, you, you wonder, why does he not do this for me? Why does he not love me? Why does he not, or why does she not come to see me or whatever? Because you didn't discipline them. And so they're just out there in the world doing their own thing. Now, you've raised a beast. And whose fault was it? Yours. Absolutely right. It says, you fight, so you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is because you don't ask God for it. Now, who would ever think about it? If you need a toy 
and you're a little child, who would ever think to ask their children or teach their children that if you need something, to bow down and ask God for the, a toy? I mean, how many parents you know that teach their children that? Virtually none. But how many of us, well, we need something in life. How many of us try every way in the world to scheme and get it instead of going and asking God to provide it for us? I mean, so you need a new dress. You need a new suit. I mean, here a while back I said, Lord, in fact, Cheryl, she, she's really a nice dresser and she wants me to dress nice. She said, you need some new suits. Well, see, I'm the, I'm the uh, I squeezed down on them dollars, see. So I said, nope, I'm, I've got four suits. That's all I need. But honey, you know, you're on television. You've you got to have some more suits. I, no, I ain't going out and buying no more suits. Them suits are expensive. I mean, even the cheap ones are expensive, so I'm not going out. She said, you've got to have at least four or five more. Oh, no, 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 no. I ain't going. I can just see myself going out and spending 1000 or $2,000 for a suit. No. I said, no, I ain't. I got it. So, okay, we're going to pray about this. I said, if God wants me to have suits, he'll provide me some suits. So, I said, okay, Lord, you know, if you want me to have suits, you're either going to give me a great deal on them or you're going to do something. But if I, if I need all these suits, you're going to put me on television, you're going to do all this stuff. If I got to have these suits, then I'm going to trust you to either give me a great deal somewhere or do something, whatever. But you know where these suits are at. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. Well, several weeks or maybe even a few months went by. And one day, a lady brought 15 suits. And her husband had been a deacon in a church. And she said, I think he was your same size, and he loved nice clothes, and he had 15 suits, and they're all beautiful. And she had them all cleaned and put in plastic bags and everything. She said, if they'll fit you, you can have them all. I tried on all 15 of them, and every one of them fit perfect. So now I have 15 new suits. didn't cost me a dime. I didn't even have to pay the cleaning bill. I see when I'm when I'm tight, you know, Elaine, I'm tight with that money. God says, I know my son, I know how tight he is, but he needs some new clothes. His wife knows he needs some new clothes. <laughs> so I know he ain't gonna go out and spend that money to get him, so I'll just give them to him. And so he did. Isn't that a wonderful what God said? Now I got a closet I had a closet that was just empty. I had a rod, you know, big lot didn't have a thing on it. Now now I got suits of it. <laughs> just filled it up. I think, oh, Lord, you're beyond my wildest dreams. But we prayed and asked God, you know, because I told her, I said, you know, I'm going to pray and ask God for these things because I just, oh, I just can't think about trying to go down to the store and buy five new suits at one time. You know, that's how I've never done that in my life. Two is the most I ever bought. And and I just I just can't go there. You know, I'm, I'm too, I guess, tight with my money. I, y'all know what I'm coming where I am. But I guess maybe I'm a little too tight sometimes. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I, <laughs> I try not to be too tight. You know, I try to be giving. Uh, I do have a lot of people that need money, you know, and give them money. But I, I'm more, you know, tight with myself than I am with somebody else. When somebody else needs money or something, I, I don't have a problem helping them. But if I don't have to have it, I sure won't spend it on myself. Then it says, <clears throat> we're going down here, it says, <clears throat> And he says, you don't have it, and yet the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And then the next verse in James 4, 3, he says, and even when you do ask, now this is a good answer to a lot of people, say, well, I asked God and he didn't give it. In other words, 
I've had people tell me, I mean, that we're living in direct sin. That wouldn't go to church, that wouldn't give God a penny or nothing else, and they come down, and let's say come down their back, because I've seen so many people heal with backs when I prayed for them. Somebody said, well, that stuff you're teaching don't work. What do you mean? Well, I had a back pain one time, and I asked God, it got so bad I couldn't work, and I asked God to heal me, and He didn't do it. And I said, well, are you going to church? Well, no, I don't believe in going to church. You tithe? No, I don't believe in tithing. Are you walking in love? Well, I don't know what that is. See, we're beginning to find out why they don't get their prayers answered. See? I mean, if you had a child of your own and they was disobedient to everything you told them to do, would you just bless their socks off with anything they come and ask you for? Of course not. Well, God's not any different. But if you're that obedient child and you're walking in obedience to His Word, then the king says, come and ask me for anything and I'll do it. And I like that part, don't you? Yes, I definitely do. Now, it says... And even when you ask, you don't get it because you, your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Well, see, that's why we don't get our, you know, so you say, oh, Lord. I, now, I'm looking at several of you girls out here. I just seen a beautiful dress on a lady down there at church today, and I got to have one of them dresses. What are you going to use that dress for? Well, because I want to look as good as she does. Ooh, okay. I guess that's okay. But you just say, Lord, I want a new dress so I can look good for you. Not because I look better than Susie or Jane or whatever. I just want a, a nice dress. Now, if you want a nice dress just to bring, to bring glory and honor to God, he'll give you a nice dress. You know, I mean, he might do it like he did me with the suits. You know, he might give them to you. And that's the best way to get them. I don't mind telling you. That way you don't have to spend no money. You know, I, I like that. I mean, just think. Fifteen suits, you know when I'll have to buy suits again? Never. I won't never. I, I mean, if I live to be 120, I ain't going to have to need no more suits because i got so many. You know, the thing about it is, I, there's, there's only one thing that could cause me to have to buy a bunch of new suits. And that if I were to not take care of my body and I were to start getting my tummy out here where I couldn't wear them, that would be the only way that I'd have to buy new ones. But I ain't going to do that. I'm going to stay. I've stayed this way for nearly 70 years, so I don't plan to change in the next 70. You know, I'm going to stay exactly the same way. So if God started using Moses at 80 and he used him until he was 120, well, he started using me about 60 really good. So that means I only got, you know, 50, you know, Two more years to go. You know, so praise the king. Then he says here, look at what he says the next line here. After he says you want to, uh, you ask for the wrong motive, you only what will give you pleasure. This next one in James uh, 4, 6, he says, you adulterers. Now, you have to really be careful because when you think about when God says you adulterers, a lot of times we think about adultery as only sexual immorality. But, you know, when God, when you go back in the Old Testament, you look at adultery, there is people that never had sex outside of wedlock, never went into that sexual world at all, but God called them whoremongers. He called them prostitutes. Because this is a spiritual principle that He's laying down. In other words... 
if you're putting anything before God, as far as God's concerned, you're an adulterer. And that's, that's, uh, that's kind of difficult to really think about because we don't see ourselves as adulterers or whoremongers just because we're not putting God first. But when you get over into the spiritual realm, you might be a preacher and you're not spending any time with God and you're spending plenty of time with the world. So if I went home tonight, as soon as we get away from here, I go home, plop my feet down, and if I had uh, uh, some kind of television, had an antenna where I could get uh, HBO or whatever these movies and all this stuff is, if I went down from here and sat down and got myself a soda pop or uh, popcorn, I do that sometimes. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do take the popcorn. I, in fact, this morning at about 2 o'clock, I was in there working on a bunch of stuff, and Dave came in and tapped on the door and and, of course, I'm working on these radio shows. I'm trying to get these things ready. And Dave came in and said, uh, can I interrupt you for a second? He tapped gently. And I said, oh, come in. And he said, would you like some popcorn? And I said, sure. So I stopped and took a little break. And we talked a few minutes and had uh, a little popcorn. <clears throat> but, you know, instead of going home and sitting down and being with God, trying to make radio shows or television shows or prepare to do all this stuff, I just went down, sat down, plopped my feet up and, watched HBO and watched some vile movie. As far as God is concerned, right there, I'm a prostitute. And I am prostituting myself with the world. He don't like it. He doesn't like for me to be a prostitute. But since I've learned that, I don't do that. I don't watch those kind of shows and stuff on television no more. I turn those off. We were talking here a while ago, and Ty said, what have you been doing? I said, well, I'm working on all kinds of stuff. I'm really trying to get radio shows up again. See, I just got back from GLC. I had to make 15 30-minute television shows, and now I'm preparing for the next four weeks' worth of, you know, uh, radio shows to put on all these radios all over the country. And Ty said, I'm glad you're doing it instead of me. Uh, (laughs) Well, it is pretty demanding. It is pretty time-consuming, and you don't have a whole lot of time to just go out and play. You know, so, but anyway... Uh, I, I love doing it for the Lord. Then he says here, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. He says, I say it again, that if your aim is to enjoy the world, you can't be a friend of God. That's tough, isn't it? That's pretty, it's very difficult to walk in obedience to that scripture right there. I mean, you know, I will have to say, you know, I enjoy the things of the world. You know, I enjoy my house, my home. You know, I enjoy living. You know, I enjoy driving our car and coming to church. I enjoy all the things I do. I enjoy working on my old tractors and trucks and all that kind of stuff. But I try to not let that stuff become my God. You know, I try to make it just something I use for the kingdom, and it's not my God. You know, I mean, i got a truck and a tractor both out there right now that uh, the truck uh, just got it running the other day, and I still haven't got the floorboards back in it and everything. I, I just haven't had time. 
Now, I could have put everything else aside. I could have forgot the radio shows. I could have forgot the television shows. I could have forgot the, all the ministry appointments that people want. I could have said, nope, I ain't taking no ministry appointments today. Forget it. I'm going to work on my truck. But I can't do that. If somebody calls and says, we need a ministry appointment, well, then the truck's got to wait because that's my job on this earth is to put God first. And he always gives me time to get the rest of it done. Somewhere along the line, sooner or later, he provides. But this is a hard thing that the Lord has put in his word. It says, You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, that if your aim, that is, if your aim is to enjoy this world, then you cannot be a friend of God. If your desire on this earth is to build you a big, beautiful home and work seven days a week, 16 hours a day, to provide for a big, beautiful home so you can be the best-known guy on the block, and if you're going to work hard like this so you can drive the finest automobile or whatever it is, if you're doing that just so you can be somebody, then your aim is the world. And it says, you can't be my friend. Now then, it doesn't hurt to work and make money to buy a house to live in and have a nice car to drive, but you can't make that your God. If you do, he says you can't be a friend of God. And if you're not a friend of God, if you're not his friend, what do you think he's going to do for you when you pray? Probably not going to get your prayers answered very often. You know, so the Scriptures is pretty tough. So you've got to realize, don't let anything control you. You control it. God's given you these things to enjoy while you're here because you've got to have them. You've got to have vehicles. You've got to have houses. You've got to have that. But don't let it control you. If you've got a television set, don't let it control you. You know, don't let it be in charge so that you have to come home and watch certain programs every day at a certain time. If you do, that thing's controlling you. Don't let it control you. Because if that's your God, then you can't be a friend of God. Then it says, What do you think the Scripture means when they say that the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within you jealously longs for us to be faithful? He jealously longs for us to be faithful to the Word. You know, to spend time with Him every day. To pray, to fast about situations and things. And to put God first in things. Put Him first. Be willing to go do the king's work. Whatever. I mean, I think about just like being about the king's business. I think about right now where Cheryl and Eldon are with Virginia. I think her name is Virginia. Veronica. What, what, what. They, their desire is to get that girl set free. And that's... That's what Cheryl said the other day. They said, I told her we would do that Sunday, but said, I didn't see her. I said, well, she was here. You just missed her. I said, she said well, I sure missed her. But she said, tonight, if she's here, I'm going to make sure we get with that girl, and we're going to pray over her. We're going to do everything we can. We want to see that girl healed. Well, that's where her and Eldon and Veronica are together right now. That's why they went out of here, because their desire is to see that woman get up out of that wheelchair and walk. To see her needs met, and see that's that's what they're that's what that's what Cheryl and Eldon are putting everything they've got into that right now. But of course, you know, we all do that. 
I mean, Ty's done that with his Cheryl, and Cheryl and I have done that. But this is why we meet with people and do everything. And that's why, you know, Ty, now Ty, just like me, he had a lot of other interests, and he loved ranching. And he loved it, and he did it for years. But God had something different for him, and he come to a point where he does not have the time to run a big ranch and take care of all them cows and meet with people all day long and pray with people. Now, that's where God's brought him to now. And he finally realized that, so he had to sell all of his cows. He had to stop making the world his God. He loved it. You know, he loved it. You know, didn't you, Ty? Yeah, that was his first love. But God says, I'm through with you in that area. I've got something else for you to do. So he had to yield to the king. And now then, he's working with people and doing things. But when God calls you to do something different, you better do what he tells you. Because if you don't, you might not be around long to enjoy nothing, right? He can just say, okay, Ty, if you're not going to do what I tell you, then I don't need you no more. Bam. And you don't get to enjoy nothing. He brings you home. So if you do what he says, he will still give you the time to be able to enjoy life. And he'll give you a great life. He'll still give you time to go fishing with your grandbabies, won't he, Ty? Sure he will. He'll give you great times to go do things that you enjoy doing. And I said that because I know them grandkids, his love to go fishing, and I know he does too. So God gives him the time once of all to do that. But you've got to be about God's business. Then it says here, it says, uh, in the next verse, in verse 6, he said, He gives us more and more strength to stand against such evil desires. As the Scripture says, God set himself against the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. If you humble yourself before God, he will give you the strength that you need to go do everything you need to do. I mean, I I think about as we do these, I think about what Wendy said today. I'm in the kitchen with Dave, and we're talking about some things, and I know it's 430, and I've got to get some things done, so I go running down the hall like this, and I heard Wendy say, here comes the pastor, get out of the way. (laughs) She was standing to the side. I was walking, I said, what's wrong? She said, I heard you coming, and I knew you wasn't walking normal. I said, you never walk normal, so when I hear you, I get out of the way, because I know you're going to come zipping through here in just a minute. Well, how do I have that kind of strength? Because the Lord gives it to me. He is the one that gives me that kind of strength, and I'm grateful for that strength. Because we know without Him, we can't do nothing. But with Him, nothing's impossible. Then He says, and after he talks about this, this is one of my favorite scriptures I've used in James 4, 7. So humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. It says, humble yourself before God. And after you've humbled yourself before God, then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've heard a lot of people quote that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you don't humble or submit yourself to God first, you might as well forget it. The devil's not going to leave because if you're over there doing the things that we talked about up above here, jealousy, bitterness, strife, you're not walking humility, you're, not, you're putting the world first, you're doing everything. Well, the devil's there because God sent him. You know? So it don't do no good to try to resist the devil. You can try your best to cast out the devil. You can do everything in the world, but until the sins are repented of and you get back in that submission to God's Word, humbling yourself before God... You can't resist the devil. 
You can resist him, but he ain't going to flee. He does not go away until you meet the criteria that's required. And then the next verse, verse 8, says, draw close to God. Now, this is where it's mine and your job. We draw close to God, and God will then draw close to you. I wish he would do that the other way, don't you? I wish he'd come up and put his arm around me and say, come over here, son. i got something I want to tell you. But he doesn't do that. He tells me, he said, you come over here, and then I will begin to draw near to you. So you've got to make that step first. Somebody says, well, if God wants me to go to church, I remember a preacher one time. I heard him tell this story. He said, I was an evangelist in a church, and I was speaking in this church, and I said, you know, there is things that God cannot do. And he said, there was a guy right over here on the front. He just, he said, you know, that's not true. God can do anything. Well, see, it all depends on where you're at with God. And this pastor said, I had never been to this church. I had no idea who none of these people were. I only knew the pastor and one or two people. And he said, as soon as that guy said that, I said, then why don't God make you tithe? And he said, that guy just disappeared under the seat. Now, who do you think just spoke out of that preacher's mouth? The Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. He said, I didn't. I had no. I said, when that come out of my mouth, I thought, where did that come from? He said, I didn't think about that. I just put my finger pointer straight at him and said, if he can do anything, why don't he make you tithe? Now, that man didn't know that guy wasn't a tither, but the Holy Ghost did. And he said, I had no more trouble out of that man after that night. He never said another word. There is things that God cannot do. Can he make you tithe? No, he cannot. He tells you what to do. Can he make you walk in holiness before him? No, he can't make you do any of those things. You know, if you don't submit yourself to him, he'll just let you go your own path. He'll let you be mean and arrogant and jealous and bitter, and and he'll let you be sick all of your life. <laughs> and like I was saying a while ago, I was telling somebody, I said, "Can you imagine? I've seen this 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 story. You know, little boy down the river one time. He, the daddy told him, don't you go down there to the edge of them banks and get up because you're gonna slide off into that river and you might drown if you fall into a deep hole." Well, this little boy, he loved to go down that river. He'd go down there when Daddy wasn't looking. And one day he fell into there. And he's screaming and hollering. So Dad was busy, but he heard this boy went running down there. And this boy, he, he, you know, don't hardly have no clothes on. And he's fell in the river. So Dad has to jump in the river. He goes in there and gets him. He pulls him up out of him. And boy, Daddy is mad. He gets a switch. And he's, them little naked ladies said, I told you not to get in that river. You going to ever do that again? He said, Daddy, I'm going to do it again. And he's all the way to the house. He said, you going to stop? He said, no. I like. He said, he beat him all the way to the house. <laughs> Finally, when he gets to the house, he said, okay, I won't do it again. I thought to myself, if that boy had only said, okay, that first lick, he would never got the rest of them. But he kept saying, no, I'm going back down there. Boy, every time he said that, he whap, he'd hit him again on them naked legs. When he got to the house, he was, he was just, oh, he looked awful. And I thought, that's us. That's us when God tells us not to do something or he puts something upon us and we don't realize it's God. And so we just keep living in our sin. Keep on holding that grudge. Keep on being in bitterness or jealousy or whatever or anger or whatever. Instead of getting over it and doing what he says, because he sent that sickness and disease to discipline us. But what if we don't repent? Hey, you, can, you know you might die in that. You might die. Of course, he won't kill you quick, usually. You know, he gives you a lot of time. 
to suffer. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? <laughs> now, why, why would we be that? We laugh at this little boy, you know, going up there, think that little kid's dumb. But let me tell you, I got a feeling some of us are <laughs> Dave's back there pointing at himself. <laughs> when we do things that we hit the switch, all we got to do is say, Dad, I'm sorry, I won't do it no more. And repent. And he said, oh, that's all. In fact, one of the things Dave and I talk about a lot, he says, you know, since I've learned, I only got one to go to. I don't have to worry about rebuking the devil. And all I got to do is get right with the Father. When I get right with the Father, he said, the devil just goes away. <laughs> it's automatic. In other words, Daddy stops, stops whipping him on his legs. So he said, Dad, I repent. I won't do it no more. Said, okay. But isn't it amazing how we don't repent? We've been guilty too, haven't we, Dave? Me and you both. Unfortunately, we have definitely done those dumb things instead of saying, Okay, Lord, that first switch across the backside, I repent. I won't do it no more. I will walk holy. But a lot of people, just, a lot of people don't ever give up. I mean, you know, I, have, I remember that man over at the hospital over there in Fort Worth that night when I found out he had an unforgiveness toward a man. And, he, and he, this man's got cancer. And I told him, I said, sir, if you don't forgive that man, you cannot be healed. And he didn't believe that. The doctor didn't believe that. But I told him, I said, sir, that's why you've got this sickness is because of this gross unforgiveness toward this man. Well, I'll have to pray about it. I said, ain't going to do no good to pray about it. The Word clearly tells you to forgive everybody from your heart. You know, isn't it amazing that God tells you what to do and yet you've got to go pray about it? You don't have to pray about that. That's like a... I just like we was talking about tithing there a while ago. A guy coming to me here a while back in prayer he said, I want you to pray for me that God will move on my heart to start tithing. I said, forget it. I ain't going to pray for that. He said, why? I said, he already told you in the Word what to do. So, no question. You know, I don't have to pray about that. I know what his will is. He said, tithe or I'm going to curse you with a curse. So, I said, ain't going to do no good for me to tithe and ask God to give you the desire to start tithing. He told you what to do. Just do it. And, and that's, then every one of us have to make a choice. But we go around begging God, oh, God, please, will you do this or you do that? He said, no, I've already told you what to do in my Word. All you got to do is what I told you. You don't have to hear my voice. You hear it in the Word. I'm telling you from my Word what to do. And He's no respect to persons. You know, the only problem is whenever He takes whenever he takes you or me, when we get a little bit better trained in the Word and become a little more knowledgeable, then if you break His rules, He uses a bigger stick. Because you know what He says in His Word? To them that don't know... And do it anyway, they will be beaten with few strides. Did he say that? But he said, if you know it's wrong and you do it anyway, you will be beaten with, what did he say? Many stripes. Somebody said, God would not do that. But that's written in the Word of God. I have read it. And I know most of you read it too. So if he says, if you know to do wrong and do it anyway, you will be beaten with many stripes. But if you don't know, you'll be beaten with few stripes. But guess what? They both got beat. <laughs> Whether you knew it or not, you got the whip. And so, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of children at home who was doing something they didn't know was wrong, but they got whipped, didn't they? Yeah. And whether they knew it or not, you know, they got whipped. And so, that's, uh, that's the same way it is with God. So, 
How are we going to learn what God likes and what He doesn't like? Get in this Word and study this Word. That's absolutely right. We're going to draw near to God, and then He's going to draw near to us. And then He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. So the Lord is telling us what to do. Draw near to Him. Clean up our act. Purify ourselves. And walk holy in obedience before His Word. Then He says... Then in verse uh, 9, let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be tears for the wrong things you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Hey, when you've done something wrong, should you laugh about it? I hope not. Because if you do... I got a feeling the stripes are going to be more. Because he's telling us what to do here. When we sin, we need to purify our hearts, we need to cleanse ourselves, we need to repent of our sins, and we need to do it with tears. Whenever somebody comes up and you start talking to them, and you see them come under conviction by the Holy Ghost, and tears begin to come in their eyes, you know the Holy Spirit's really touched their heart with something. You know, if you tell somebody, you know, you're living in sin, and they're laughing, cutting up, and joking, hey... Ah, okay, I'm going to repent. I'm going to tell God I'm sorry. And they're laughing and cutting up. There ain't no remorse there. They don't mean what they're saying. Not at all. They can't even fool me, much less God. You know, so the thing about it is, uh, I'm not, I don't have that spirit of discern like some people do. I mean, some people can walk in a room with somebody and they can tell you what's going on. They can tell you what's wrong with that person. They can tell you all kinds of things. And I... Ty's wife, Cheryl, and my wife, Cheryl, they have that discernment much more than Ty and I do. I mean, he will agree with me. I mean, these girls can walk in a room with somebody, and we can minister to them 30 minutes or whatever. We walk out, and these two girls are talking to each other, and they know things about them. How do you all know this? But they just know it. And then when we, start, when we find out later, they are always right. I mean, they are hardly ever wrong. So, I mean, I stand in awe at the ability that God's given these two girls in discernment. You know, so I really have to walk in obedience because if I do anything wrong, Cheryl, she'd know I do it and I don't even tell her. <laughs> Both Cheryl's, mine or her ties, either one. So i got to walk in obedience to the Word because they read me like an open book. <laughs> oh, goodness. <clears throat> you know, women, just a lot of women, women even in the world, you know, how many women do you know that, and you may have been one of those women, your husband was not a man of God, or maybe you thought he was a half man of God, and he'd come in and he'd done something wrong, you know, whatever. He'd been out with the boys too late, or maybe he'd been out with a woman or something. You just knew in your ability to discern that something was wrong. You know that? Even women of the world know those kind of things. So I think it's just a, something God put in women that women can do this much more than a man. But women have those gifts. So, then he says in uh, James 4.10, he says, When you look down before the Lord and admit your dependence on Him, He will lift you up and He will give you honor. Hey, when you realize that without the King, what can you and I do without the Lord? 
Nothing. I mean, we can't even take a breath, can we, Gina? I mean, we, she, she's shaking her head. She couldn't even shake her head from side to side if God didn't give her that strength. You know, but we fail to realize that the king, you know, nothing is impossible with him. And we think that, well, yeah, God can do this or do that, and maybe he can heal this or heal that. But those are, that's not any harder for him to do that than this to give Gina the ability to shake her head just like that. And, and if, he, if he doesn't give you that ability, you can't do it. You know, you can't take a breath without him. Everything, I mean, everything, uh, our dependence is upon the king for everything. We can do nothing on our own. Nothing. So we need to absolutely give him the glory and the honor for everything. And then verse 11 says, Don't speak evil about each other, my dear brothers and sisters. Now then, if you talk evil about people, and I've heard good Christian people in good Christian churches, in a good Christian meeting, even talking evil about that stupid president that we have. Have you ever heard people make those kind of statements? I mean, you know, I've heard people talk evil. Well, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe he wasn't very smart. Maybe he did do some bad things wrong. But the Lord tells us not to talk evil about them. You know, not to talk evil. That's hard to do. Especially if they're really doing something bad. If they're really doing something bad, you want to talk evil about them. But the Lord tells us not to do that. He says, Don't speak evil against each other, my dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize each other and condemn each other, then you're criticizing and condemning God's law. And one time, again, Dave and I have had some long conversations about the Word of God. One night we were sitting there talking about how the Lord says that the devil, we, as we discussed it, uh, as we, as, in other words, he is, uh, I forget the word, it says, and Satan as we stand, he, he condemns us before the throne of God daily or something. I forget exactly what the Scripture says now. But anyway, when we were talking about that, I said, you know, Dave, as I think about the devil uh, condemning us before the throne of grace daily, like he said over in the book of Revelations, I said, you know, according to the Word of God, when Satan fell, he was cast out of heaven. And he was cast down to the earth. Now then, the way I understand the word, he does not have the legal right to come back into the third heaven again. He can't go there anymore. So how does he condemn us before the throne of grace daily? And I said, this is the only way I can figure this out. And that is that if the devil, since our flesh is on earth and our soul is here on earth, and if he's putting thoughts in us, and I'm walking up saying, you know, this old Ty, he ain't no good for nothing. You know, maybe Ty did something wrong. And I say, you know, this guy, and I'm just talking evil about him. And people do that about their friends. You know, so I'm talking evil about Ty. And if I'm talking evil about him, and I am on earth physically, but I'm already seated at the right hand of the Father in the spirit world, according to Ephesians 2, 6. So when I'm talking here, I'm talking up there. And if I'm in both places, physically here and the Spirit up there, and then if I'm talking evil on earth about Him, then I'm condemning my brother before the throne of grace before God every day. It's the devil that's put these thoughts here, and so he's transmitting that, that power through me to the throne of grace. And before the throne of grace, he is condemning us 
before God from there because he's doing it through our physical mouths. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Or do you, do you not get what I'm saying there? In other words, you think the devil... What's that word, Dave, that was you? The devil what? The accuser. accuser of the brethren. Yeah. The devil accuses us before the throne of God daily. Okay, so if the devil accuses us before the throne of God, and he's not in the throne of God, then how does he accuse us before God? You know, well, I think that's the way he does it. I think when we're on earth, I'm talking evil about you, or you're talking evil about me, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then every one of us technically are seated at the throne of grace already in the third heaven in the spirit world. So when we're talking on earth, we're talking up there. How else, if that wasn't true, when you humble yourself and catch yourself up to the throne of grace and come boldly into the throne of grace and you're pleading with God to heal somebody or do something or to meet their need, you're still on earth, aren't you? In the flesh. But in the spirit, you're up there. You're walked right in and Jesus is right there with you and you're talking and pleading with the Father to do something good through the blood of Jesus. And we know He hears us because He does it. He answers those prayers. And so we see Him do great and wonderful things. So if when you're just idly talking and you're accusing your brother, then the devil is speaking through your mouth and that's the way he gets access to the third heaven, through you. And so you're accusing your brother before the throne of God every day. Isn't that a shame that we do that? But we do. Why do you think God told us not to speak evil of our brother? If He tells us not to speak evil of our brother, then we never speak evil, or the accuser of the brother can't condemn us before the throne of God on a daily basis. But you have to learn to control the tongue. And we're working on it. We ain't there yet, but we're working on it. Aren't we, Asia? <laughs> we're working on it, praise the Lord. It is a full-time job trying to control everything. And he says, don't speak evil against each other. Then he goes on down and says, but you are, in that same verse, you're condemned, but you are, but you are not a judge. And who can decide whether the law is right or wrong? Your job is to obey it. What is mine and your job? To obey God's law. When He tells us to do something, we just do it. I'm not the judge. If Ty had done something I thought was awful, or if I had done something he thought was awful, it's not mine or his job to judge the other one that we're wrong. You know, not before everybody else. Now, if I do something wrong, What's his job? Come sit down and tell me, hey, Thurman, I think you messed up. You know, but not to go out and start telling you what I've done wrong, because you do. He's judging me, you know, and he may not know why I did what I did. See, that's the whole thing. So that's why God tells us, don't judge each other. You know, go sit down and talk with each other if you see somebody doing something wrong. And then there's steps to go through this. But he said, all you and me are supposed to do is obey the law. So, then he says, God alone who made the law, only He can rightly judge among us. He made the law. He knows your heart. Nobody else knows your heart. So only He can rightly judge. Then He says, He alone has the power to save or to destroy. God alone has the power to save or destroy. And He will know at the right time, and I can only imagine the people, 
that God has turned over to the devil for destruction of the flesh so he can save their soul in the day of judgment. Because he knows which way they're going to go. I'm going to tell you there's a lot of people on this earth dead today that should have lived many more years because God knew if he left them here 20 more years they would get into some kind of sin that would condemn their soul and that he'd have to destroy them in hell. And he's gracious and merciful. And you and I don't know that. We cannot do that because we are not God. Only God can make that decision. So, a lot of, the Lord says He watches over the death of His saints. He knows every time. Did you know He knows every hair on your head? You know He knows every little sparrow out there? Not a single sparrow falls to the ground. In other words, if that little sparrow is sitting right there on the edge of that deal, and you've got a BB gun or a twenty two and you're going to shoot him off there, if it's not that little time for that little sparrow to go, you can't hit him. You can't hit him. If it's not his time. You know, but if it is his time, then it will happen. But that little sparrow is not going to fall dead until God, unless God says, okay. He is in control. I mean of everything. But it, he alone has the power to save or to destroy. Like if you don't do what he says and he don't like what you're doing, how easy would it be for him to say, I'm through with you and I will bring you home. But if you walk in obedience to His Word and walk in love and trust Him, then He will do great and wonderful things. So, He says, so what right do you have to condemn your neighbor? You don't have any right to condemn your neighbor because you don't know their hearts. Then in James 5.11, He says, we'll go to the next chapter, James 5.11. He says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Because when it comes to suffering, most people don't do a very good job of enduring. I mean, I can endure as long as the pain's not very much. I see this lady smiling when I said that. She probably knew exactly where I'm coming from. You know what? There's only one thing I hate more than pain. And you know what that is? More pain. That's exactly right. <laughs> I don't like pain. Do you, Ty? No. Only one thing I hate more than pain, and that's a little more pain to go with it. So, whoo! I don't want pain, and I don't want to have to suffer. I don't like it. So, if I don't like pain, then i got to realize that the, if I walk in obedience to His Word, the King says, I bore your pain on the cross. So, if I can claim that by faith and walk in obedience to His Word, then He will bear my pain through life, and I won't have to bear it. Now, you think that would be a better place to walk and have to walk in pain all the time? I mean, I know people. I think about, uh, uh, what was that young man's name up at Lakeland here a couple of years ago? Bobby Jones. Bobby Jones, when he was 14 years old, broke his back in a football game. 14. He never played football after that. Couldn't. He, he did have surgery and they fixed his back best they could. But he couldn't play, couldn't do a lot of things. And 24 years later, he finally is coming down. The, he has never had a day since he's 14 that he didn't have pain. I can't even grasp that. I can't even fathom that. But did he want that pain? No, he didn't want that pain. But he didn't know. Was he a Christian? Yes. A great Christian man singing in the choir at Lakeland Baptist Church just up to 35. But he couldn't. He finally went to doctors. And he went to some of the finest ones in the Metroplex because the pain was getting so severe, 
He couldn't stand it no longer. He said, I've got to have something done. So by going to the best doctors he could go to, they would tell him, well, we're going to have to go in through your neck and in through to get to the back to those vertebrae that's causing your problem. Now then, we're not sure that we can fix them totally, and more than likely when we get through with you, you're still going to have pain, but we think we can eliminate part of the pain. Well, he was willing to pay the price because he thought he might have a little less pain. And then a few days before he was scheduled for surgery, I met the guy at a day of prayer meeting in, in Flower Mound. I was introduced to him, and I told him, I said, Bobby, you don't have to, after I found out he was going to go for surgery, he was in pain. He's a singer, and he was singing that day. That's what he was doing. I was speaking there. He was singing that day. And then he asked him if he, where he went to church. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm a member of Lakeland Baptist Church. I said, man, I served as a deacon there with Dr. Ben Smith for years. I know him well. And he said, well... <clears throat> I've got to go have surgery. I said, you don't have to have surgery. I said, God has promised to heal you. And he looked at me startled. He said, he has? I said, yes. I told him a couple of different places. We went in the Word of God for guarantees that God had promised to heal him. And one of them I took him to was Matthew 18, 19. Isn't that such a simple thing? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. Now, what did he have to do? He had to get rid of his doubt and unbelief. He had to get rid of all sins. And then he had to believe the Word. And so, that evening, at the National Day of Prayer in Flower Mound, he repented of all his sins, known and unknown. And I used that Scripture, prayed the prayer of faith over him, and I guaranteed the King of the universe would heal him. He left there in pain, just like he came. But the next morning when Bobby Jones woke up, for the first time in 24 years, he had no pain. And now then, that's been at least two years ago. He has given that testimony to everybody that will listen. He's given it at Lakeland Baptist Church two or three times. He told everybody up and down the halls. I don't know how many people I've met since then that I know. And said, man, Bobby told me you prayed for him and God healed him. I said, well, isn't that wonderful that God does those kind of things? How long had that scripture been available for Bobby Jones? All of his life had been available. Right, Rosemary? But he didn't know how to stand on it by faith, did he? But when he made sure that he repented of every sin, known and unknown, and we prayed the prayer of faith for him, the king of the universe did exactly what he said. And guess what? Bobby Jones not only has no pain, he still has a beautiful voice and sings in the choir all the time. Because when God went through there and done the work on his back, he didn't mess up his vocal cords on the way in and out. You know, now, my hat's off to doctors because if I was a doctor, in fact, I've always been a little bit nervous, you know, a little bit, and whenever, or shake, whatever you want to call it. So when I'd be working on something real delicate, really tiny, my hands would be shaking a little. And one of the guys that would work with me, one of them say, Thurman, you'd have made a real great brain surgeon. (laughs) I said, with those hands shaking, you wouldn't want me working on your brain, would you? No, I wouldn't want me working on my brain either with those shaking hands. But, you know, I mean, just think how steady a doctor would have to be to go through with all them little pieces in there. If you make a wrong touch, you touch the wrong thing. You done run some guy. And I'm sure Ty, as a doctor, seen a few of those happen. Because people, you know, I mean, I'm sure. I, I know the other day he told me about some place he walked into where some guy had done surgery on somebody and, and he, he had messed the guy up, you know. Uh, he said, I knew when I saw him, the guy had messed him up. 
you know, because he knew what was wrong, and the other guy obviously didn't have uh, the knowledge that he needed to have. And so, hey, I mean, you know, you can, it's just like being a mechanic. You know, you can take it to a garage, and one guy can fix your car right, the next one mess it up. You know, so there's good doctors, there's good mechanics, there's good everything. But uh, that's just the way life is. But just think, when these people who endure suffering, Bobby had endured suffering for 24 years of his life, when as far as I'm concerned, it was available way back there, because Matthew 18, 19 has been in the Word of God forever, 2,000 years at least. But if you don't know it and don't know how to act on it, then you suffer. But he says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Now, that's one of the kinds of suffering he's talking about. But whatever kind of suffering it is, if you endure, instead of losing it and getting upset and mad and screaming and holler, then he gives us an example. He said, Job is an example of a man who endured patiently. Man, what a man to endure what Job endured. I mean, this guy, first of all, I don't even want to think about this. Of course, I only lost one child and a wife. But I can't even fathom having ten children and lose them all. Now, I don't know. How many grandchildren y'all got, Ty? Six. Six, and you got four children, right? Can you imagine what it would be if you lost all of them, all ten of them at one whack? No, you don't even want to think about that, do you? Absolutely not. Nobody wants to think about that. But wonder how we, would we react if we lost some of our loved ones? What if you lost your wife? Your mate, what if you lost one of your children or both of your children at one time? How would you react? Well, you need to think about that because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Now, Job endured. Now, the story of Job, I'd read it many times, and that's where I got my endurance to be able to stand in my test whenever I lost my wife and my daughter. I remember what Job did, and he worshipped the Lord, and God did a great restoration in his life. Now, he didn't know what he was doing. Well, I didn't know what he was doing in my life either. I had no idea. But I knew if Job worshipped and God brought him back and restored him, I knew that he is no respecter of her. If I worshipped and I didn't get into some wild place of screaming and kicking and hollering, God would do something good for me. And so I stayed in that place of worship. And by doing that, God did a great thing for me. But we give great honor to those who endure under suffering, Job is an example of a man who endured patiently. He says, from his experience, we see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good. Now, the Lord's plan. Has he got a plan when something like this happens? Yes, he does. I mean, whenever Betty and Amanda died that day in that car wreck, do you think I could see God's plan in that? Absolutely not. I didn't understand that. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. But the Scripture tells me that I hear all the time people, Christian people, this is my body, I will do with it what I want to. Well, let me tell you, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says this body, when you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, you gave up all legal right to your body. It becomes the property of the king. It is no longer yours. It's his. And it's not yours. If it belongs to him, what can he do with it? Anything he wants to do. If he finds a place that he can come up and he can bring glory and honor to his name by taking you out, 
well, then he can take you out. I think about, about uh, Milton, uh, a man that I know, uh, or used to know, or knew of him. I, I've since met his wife, but I didn't know him. But some of you may have known Milton Green. You know, Milton, he turned out, he was a carpet cleaner, but he turned out to be a great man of God. And he had meetings down here in Dallas that there would be five and 10,000 people show up to hear him teach. And he would teach the Word of God for eight hours all day long. People would sit under conviction and businessmen would come down to those meetings and come in that place and he'd pray and he'd teach the Word of God. And here this guy's a young man all of a sudden one day just dies. Just dies. And his wife, God, what are you doing? Milton's at the height of his career. I mean, Lord, here he was a nobody and you've brought him and raised him up to this point in his life and he's teaching the Word and thousands of people's lives are being changed. What are you doing taking him out? And the Lord told her, said, I'll use Milton greater in his death than I did in his life. And his ministry is still going to this day. I guess that's been 20 years ago that guy died, I guess. At least 20. And his ministry is still going. They're still making his tapes. And they're sending them all over the world. But yet he died years ago as a young man. What can God do? Anything. Hey. He can do anything. That's him. Milton's body did not belong to Milton any longer. It belonged to God. And whenever he got ready to take him out, can he take you out? Sure he can, yeah. So don't grumble and complain. But it says here, and from Job's experience, we see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good, for he is full of tenderness and mercy. Full of tenderness and mercy. Now, we don't understand all this, but God is full of tenderness and mercy, and He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's doing. Then it says, the next verse, He says here, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath. Never take an oath. That's something, isn't it? Never take an oath by heaven or by earth or anything else, but just say a simple yes or no. Just a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned for it. Now then, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you have to join an organization that requires you to take a secret oath, don't take it. Don't join that organization. In fact, the best thing you can do is join nothing except God's church. That's that's the safest ground you can be on. You know, there's too many organizations out there that requires you to take an oath. And, of course, one of those organizations that you know that I've talked about every once in a while is the Masonic Lodge and the Eastern Star, you know, and all those kind of organizations that require you to do that. And we see many people that are sick and afflicted because either their parents or they. In fact, I had a couple come from another city the other day. And uh, they were both, both in their 50s, both been tormented for 20 years. I mean, numerous pain and suffering. And I spent about five or six hours with them in the ministry center. And both of them, 20 or 25 years earlier, had gotten heavily involved. And he was in the Masonic Lodge and she was in the Eastern Star. And when I talked to them about that and told them about the oaths and all the stuff, the guy said, and you never been one of them? I said, no, sir i never been one, but I said, I read the books. I know how to minister to people. He said, you know more about the organization than I do, and I was a member of it for 20 years. 
I said, but I know that it's wrong. And, of course, that day both of them repented. I mean, they both repented and everything. But see, by giving uh, another God, you know, making another God there, they're, they're, they're spiritual prostitutes. And that God didn't like it. And so they had opened the door to the devil. And he had taken what was rightfully his. And that man and that woman both had suffered tremendously in the last 20 years of life. I mean, they'd been to hospitals, been in pain and suffering. And both of them had numerous problems wrong with them when they came to see me. I spent all afternoon, from about 11 o'clock that morning, they drove from about four or five hours away. I spent all day with them. And, of course, they totally repented, totally changed. And then we prayed the prayer of faith for them. I said, now all you've got to do is stand in faith, and I guarantee God will heal you. But you've got to put Him first. And you can't put no other gods before Him. Only Him. So all that other stuff you've got to get away from. But right there in James... He clearly says, take no oaths. Because if you do, you're a sinner. So when they both took an oath to their lodges, you know, it put them under bondage. And it will bring demons into your life. It will bring sickness and disease into your family. And you will not like the results. But what's the best thing to do? Walk holy in obedience and purify yourself before the Lord. And then if you've submitted yourself totally to God's Word and walk holy in His presence... Then it says you can resist the enemy when he comes by, and he will flee from you. How do you resist the enemy? By walking holy before God. That's how you resist him. You don't have to go around screaming at the devil every day. If you're walking in obedience to God's Word, he doesn't have no legal right to be there. If he does try to put any kind of a a little depression on you or something, you don't have to scream and kick at the devil. Just quote him the word and say, out. Did Jesus scream and kick at the devil when the devil come put him to the test? No. He just said, it is written, Satan. And he quoted him the word. It is written, Satan. He quoted him the word. And it says, and the devil left him till a more opportune time. Which means he'll come back. But he'll come back trying to weasel his way in. But when he does, if you've submitted yourself to God, all you've got to do is quote the devil the word and tell him to go away. He has to go away. He cannot stay. He cannot stay. You don't have to go around as a Christian all day long, every day, rebuking the devil. Yeah. You're wasting your time. Instead of rebuking the devil all day long, start praising God all day long. When you praise God all day long, the devil ain't going to be there. He's going to be gone. Wow. We timed that just right. It's 9 o'clock. Five minutes till. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your magnificent word. We thank you, Father, that you've given us all these statements. We thank you for every line in the Word of God. Not just every book or every chapter, but every line you've written in this book because every one of them is full of something wonderful for us to to learn and to walk in and to know so we can truly walk in obedience to your Word, so we can live the abundant life that you promised while we're here on this earth. And Father, I want to thank you and praise you for that abundant life that we can walk well and without sickness and disease. We can walk without sin. Lord, if we sin, we immediately confess that sin and it's gone and we're purified again. So, Lord, help us to walk so we don't sin at all, so we walk holy and obedient to your word. You told us to purify ourselves. You didn't say you would do it. You told us to do it. So, Lord, we want to walk pure and holy and help us to make that right decision every day of our life so we can be in obedience to your word. And I thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.